Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Better Together podcast series. I'm your host, Joe Balin, and uh, I'm excited today because we have some special guests. Um, I also have a co-host today I want to introduce first. That's Deb Sanchez, Clinical uh, Quality Coordinator for the SCG Group. Um, Deb also is our lead of the VETS ARG pod for MDS. Deb, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Joe. I think this is our second podcast together that we've done. So I'm very, I'm very excited. A couple uh, Massachusetts folks uh, doing the interviewing with uh, what will be a couple Ohio folks. So I'm looking forward to this. And me too. It's going to be a great discussion. And uh, next, I'd like to introduce our own Jeff Schroeder. Jeff Schroeder has been a territory manager here at BD for 16 years. Um, actually uh, been in five territories, once reporting to me way back in the day. Um, but I think of, of consequential note is Jeff has 11 stage performances out of 16 years, which is remarkable. So Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Glad to be here, man. Glad to have you. And last but not least, I want to introduce um, our special guest, Chad Jenkins. Um, Chad is a veteran and entrepreneur, uh, currently runs a family-owned government contracting business and hosts a podcast called Christ Over Fear. Uh, uh, Chad graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point, leading the Black Knights as the Army quarterback. Chad was commissioned as an infantry officer in the United States Army upon successful completion of Ranger School um, and Air Salt School. He was deployed with the 10th Mountain Division to Iraq for one year. Following his return to the U.S. soil, Jenkins joined the 75th Regiment, Ranger Regiment in the most dedicated and lethal fighting force in the U.S. Army. He led the Rangers during three more deployments to Iraq as a platoon leader and ground force commander. Jenkins was deployed a total of four times and was awarded three Bronze Star medals for his service to the country. Chad, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here, Joe, with you, Deb, and Jeff. Uh, looking forward to it. So thank you for having me. So uh, we appreciate you coming on. And the reason we have Jeff uh, on with Chad is because Jeff and Chad, um, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking to two Ohio guys, um, grew up together. And I think, uh, you know, Jeff, um, I don't know, some people will be listening in the car and we can see your background is the Ohio State background, uh, O-H-I-O, it looks like it's the band that's playing in the background, uh, spelling that out. Um, and oh, it took me- to Ohio, Joe. It, yes, well, it took <laughs> From me- the best damn band in the land. <laughs> it took me uh, five years of working directly with you to realize you actually didn't go to Ohio State. So, um, but Jeff, uh, talk to me about uh, how you first met Chad. Uh, you know what? Um, Chad and I just became friends through elementary school back in third grade. Um, we just kind of hit it off, uh, you know, with in school and class uh and then on the playground, um, and uh, we we had like gym class together and other things, but we never really had like class class together. So we always look forward to our times, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, when you actually had recess and being able to organize some football games and kickball games and whatever we could do to be active during school. Um, so I don't know, just from there, we hit it off and uh yeah, I don't know. We we played sports together. And from, you know, that was probably just the beginning of of our friendship. And then, you know, from there, it just continued on uh, till, till this day. Yeah. Is it true that Jeff introduced you to football? <laughs> well, he's right on everything. I'm going to I'm going to out Jeff out right now. He's going to be so irritated <laughs> because when he was in the third grade, he only wore notre dame golden blue so he was a diehard notre dame fan early on it wasn't until subsequent years of being weighed down by all of us that he became a buckeye fan now he's going to argue he's going to say no it was his uncle and his uncle just gave him that stuff but he's absolutely right indian run elementary school indian run you know is our name uh that was our that was our little fight song at indian run but that's where jeff and i became you know best friends really and it was on the playground it was out back uh, playing two-hand touch football, playing basketball, playing tetherball, whatever it was. I, I guess even back then they were smart enough not to put us in the same class together. Um, mm -hmm. But 
It was, uh, I don't, he's, he has the same magnetic personality that he had back then, but it was just, um, you know, boys outside with a ball in their hand. And that's how we fast became friends. That's did, the two, did the two of you plan to go to college together and somewhere along the line that got separated out? We were hoping to, but once he, uh, committed to army and went to West Point, I was like, yeah, I'm not tough enough for that. So, uh, I knew at that point, our, our days of playing together and going to school together were over. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Chad going to army and Jeff, you go into the Tiffin dragons, but, yeah. uh, um, so Tether, you mentioned tetherball. That's probably uh, ages all of us. Cause I think there's probably a few people on the podcast that don't know what tetherball is, but if you don't, Google it. Uh, we will have a tetherball championship at the national sales meeting this year. So, um, so you guys went to elementary school together and then ultimately high school together. Yeah. And you both were played football on the same team in high school. Mm -hmm. So Jeff, what was your position? Running back. And Chad, and were you in Chad? Were you quarterback at that time in, in high school? I was, but I mean, we, we go back our first year together on the football field was sixth grade. Actually, it was DYA Eagles. We actually, we were the uh, DYA champs. Got to put that on the record. Um, yeah. So we were in the same backfield then with Greg Simpson, our other really good friend. And it was the three of us kind of running the show. And then Jeff and I stayed and, and played middle school at Sells middle school together. And then uh, all the way through high school, we were able to play on the same football team. And Jeff, you were so you were taking the handoffs from Chad, for sure. And when there was a miss in exchange, whose fault was that? Typically, it's always the quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> always the running back. <laughs> we didn't well, that, have to worry about that. We had a good mesh point. It started in sixth grade. I mean, truth be told, Chad, you know, he was always a really great athlete, right? Like, um, well, no matter what sport he played, and that was evident through high school as well, but. You know, he had played baseball and basketball all the way up, you know, from our youth youth time. And then once sixth grade hit, we were just petitioning for him to come out because we knew how good of an athlete he was. And um, sure enough, his first year on the football field, I mean, he looked like he was Barry Sanders out there, but playing quarterback. And I mean, just the spin moves that he had and just the athleticism, um, you know, it was it was obviously uh, just a great time being on the field with them and sharing those memories together. You know, back in the day when you had a highlight film in sixth grade, we're, we're talking MC hammer, you know, too <laughs> legit to quit and things like that. Um, I forget some of the other songs right now, but that one always resonates pretty well. Bust the move. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, but I don't, that one wasn't on the, on the highlight reel. <laughs> <laughs> so Chad, um, so you got you and Jeff go through school together and then um, obviously graduations coming up and you make decisions. How where was your decision to go to Army? Where did that come from? Was it something that was always going to happen for you that you always wanted to go down that path from family history or what what helped bring you to that pathway? I, I'm happy to answer that, Joe, but I have to say for a say, I love that we're talking about sixth grade football as much as we are right now. Like <laughs> if we could just stay in this realm, that would make my day. We don't have to go any further than, than this. <laughs> talking about the Eagles, but I'm messing with you. So, uh, no, I wish I was some, you know, heroic story of my, you know, fourth ancestor on my mother's side had always gone to West Point and I followed the lineage, but that's, that's not the story. The service academies were my biggest ticket to play division one football. And, uh, at that time, our senior year, 1990, well, 96, 97 football season, uh, army, Actually, they they had a great year. They went they went ten and two, and they finished nineteenth in the country. So they were the best kind of team, Division One football team that was recruiting me at the time. And that's what I that was that's all of our goal. You know, Jeff and I and a bunch of our other friends was to play football at the collegiate level. And Army was my best option to try to play um, Division One at quarterback. So uh, that's why I pursued it. My dad, he did. He did get drafted during the Vietnam era. Uh, thank God he didn't have to go to Vietnam. He went to Germany, but he served for two years um, when when his country called upon him. 
during that time frame. So there was a little bit of um, of military history. My grandpa on my mom's side, my, my grandfather on my mom's side, he served as well. But we weren't this huge military family. It was more the desire to continue playing football. And as my mom so eloquently says, she says, you know, Chad went to West Point for all the wrong reasons, but he stayed for all the right. Um, and yeah. I think that a lot of that's what happened on 9-11-2001, uh, my senior year at West Point when we were attacked as a country. And just, um, you know, I know that's fast forwarding a little bit, but um, it was really football was number one to get me to a service academy. Gotcha. And Jeff, what about you? Uh, as far as college? Yeah, and football. I mean, you wanted to play football as well, right? And I know you okay. you you started off, I think, in Bowling Green, uh, and then went to the uh the Tiffin Dragons, the Purple Dragons. I'm not sure what their uh no, name was, not, and then University of Arizona, right? Yeah. Or Arizona. Yeah. So what what brought you you wanted to continue to play football after high school? Yeah, I mean, I looked at that as kind of like my my out, you know. Um didn't come from much, obviously, growing up. Uh, lived in a in a different area than some of the more affluent areas of Dublin, Ohio. Um, but, uh, you know, fo football was a, a passion and a love, and I figured that would be a great thing to be able to continue that dream and play at another level. And I did. I, I took the opportunity to play D1 at Bowling Green State University. And then after that, um, I played for a couple years, uh, traveled to all the away games, uh, my redshirt freshman year, uh, which was a really cool experience. In fact, Chad, um, his wife, Emily, she went to Penn State when we traveled to Penn State and, and played them. And of course, got demolished by by Penn State when they had a really good team back there with like LeVar Arrington and Courtney Brown and all those guys on defense. And uh, uh we were Joe Paw's 300th victory, believe it or not. And at the time, you know, you kind of take it in and look at this. And I mean, the field was immaculate. The place was super loud. You hear what today is still that annoying sound of that Nittany Lion when they get a first down, like, you know, screaming over the over the uh, the the speakers and whatnot. But um, uh, really, really great experience there. But I really wanted more of an opportunity to uh to play with some other friends as well uh, at Tiffin and then went to Tiffin and played a, a year and a half there. And, you know, after another injury with my ankle, it was just kind of like, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's call these days over and, you know, move on. And, um, and then I started coaching. So. So while you're in school, um, both of you in different places, right? Different paths, Chad, you and Jeff stay in contact in those college years. Uh, we absolutely did. I mean, it, it, and it's, it was harder back then, right? Yeah. We had like ALL messenger. And I think I had like a phone, a, a hard line a landline in my room once I became like a junior and senior, but it was, it was more difficult uh, than it is today. I will say that, but no, we, we, Jeff has always been that steadfast um, individual in my life that I've always stayed connected with no matter what, even when, even when it was more difficult from my end, he's always been the one to, and that's a the sign of a true, um, you know, great friend of just staying connected, staying plugged in. Um, my goodness, he came to uh, a couple of our away games when he was out in Arizona. So he came to New Mexico State uh, when we played out there. He came to um, Air Force Academy to to that game as well in Colorado and brought a couple other of our friends uh, with them. So. And just being able to give him a hug after the game, coming out of the locker room. And, uh, you know, I remember at Air Force my senior year and just being able to embrace him and hug him. Um, you know, it, it's difficult. I don't think I appreciated the difficulty while I was in it because it's more like a survival mindset at, uh, at West Point. But looking back now and just reflecting on like embracing him, that, that brings part of my home to me in Air Force, right? It brings part of my my childhood back to me uh, of those years, you know, um, together that we had to then see him in person and that he made all that effort to come um, shows just the type of individual uh, and the type of friend he is. So it's grounding when he would show up and, and be there for you. Yeah, 100%. That's a great, a great way to put it. Um, grounding and just brings you back to uh, uh, you can kind of turn everything else out, whether it was a win or a loss that doesn't really at the end of the day, those are those are wins or losses. But what matters are the people in our life.
So you mentioned uh, we did a little foreshadowing, but you know you went to West Point as your mom would say for the wrong reasons, but stayed for the right reasons. So you went to play football. Um, your senior year, nine uh, eleven happens and and changes perspective completely. Um, I know there's a lot to unpack there and talk about, but just your initial thoughts, because I read that, you know, when this occurred, I think it was Army was the only team to practice on that day. Um, and there were a lot of things and emotions and, and being with West Point, you knew at some point you would be deployed, I'm sure, uh, as as part of that program. So talk to me about that day and kind of how that change perspective for you of, of, I guess, why you were there and ultimately why you you stayed and, and served the way you did? Yeah, well, I think um, a little bit backwards of that. So right before your junior year of, of school, so in between your sophomore and junior year, any cadet at, at West Point or Annapolis or Air Force Academy experiences the same thing. You do summer training and then you are not required to serve five years active duty in the military upon graduation until you attend that first class your junior year. So as soon, so you can go all the way up through the summer of your sophomore year and have no commitment to the military. But as soon as you step foot in class on your junior year, now you say, hey, I've committed myself. So we were already there. We already, you know, me as a senior, I was already committed to the military post-graduation and knew um, that would be the case. However, what none of us knew was that we would be at war. You know, I entered at 17 years old and it was a peacetime military. They're really, besides what we just had the 30th anniversary on just earlier this uh, last week, October 3rd, 1993, when um, second or no, 3rd Ranger Battalion got in uh, in a special operations unit, got in the most deadly firefight the United States has been in since Vietnam in Mogadishu, Somalia. We That was the only really skirmish or, or war that had taken place, and that lasted a couple of weeks. So when 9-11-2001 took place, and we had just come off a heartbreaking loss to Cincinnati, it was a home game. We actually, we got the lead with um, like a minute and 30 seconds left. We, we went up. And sure enough, their their offense got the ball with a minute 30 and kind of similar to what Oklahoma did to Texas this weekend, just march right down, scored the game winning touchdown. So we had just taken a heartbreaking loss um, and we were preparing for the University of Buffalo that week when that Tuesday morning struck. And I'll never forget my roommate. He didn't have class the first hour. I had class. So I was already in class when the first tower was hit. And it was in between first and second period that I passed my my roommate, Dom Tripodo, and I had second period off. So I was heading back to our, our barracks, our room. And uh, he said, hey, turn on the TV. One of the World Trade Centers has just gotten hit by, a, by an airplane. And they thought it was like a, a commuter little plane at that time. Right. Um, and then I got on into the room and I turned the TV on and I saw the the second plane uh, fly into the the second World Trade Tower. And um, and then that's when the reports were coming that, hey, this is bigger than some, you know, some pilot air. This is a, a coordinated attack. And then the Pentagon um, got struck. And so our entire campus went into lockdown at West Point because we didn't know if uh, there was the potential of it being a strategic target as well. And actually the uh, the flights that departed from Boston to make their way to the World Trade Center, they actually used the Hudson River as their navigational platform, their their eyes on to, to basically maneuver themselves down into New York City. And uh, if anybody out there doesn't know, West Point is right on the Hudson River. It's 55 miles north of, of New York City, right along the Hudson. So they flew right overhead uh, as they made entry into, into New York City for their final, you know, target. So we went into lockdown at lunch, um, around the lunch hour, the whole campus was put on lockdown, but we did to your point, Joe, we, we practiced and we were the only team to practice, uh, in the entire country that day. And it kind of goes into, um, the mindset of what you have to have. I think our coach Todd Berry made the right decision is, you know, 
what can we control? What can we not control? We didn't know the games would be canceled the, the coming Saturday. And all we could control at that time was preparing ourselves. And I think that goes for what is needed on the battlefield as especially young leaders, uh, platoon leaders, ground force commanders is we might not be able to control the periphery. We might not be able to control everything that's going on on the battlefield, but what we can control is, is our reaction and how we're going to respond and preparing ourselves for, for, you know, the potential of a game was important to us. And I will say it was probably the most violent and most, um aggressive practice we had ever had that was probably the biggest um biggest aggressive practice i had ever experienced at west point that year i mean there was fights breaking out everywhere (laughs) and it was mayhem on the field and i think that's probably well i don't know it's not probably it is because of what had transpired earlier that morning do you think it was like anger chad or do you think it was like what frustration not knowing maybe what's to come of everybody and what the request and ask would be. And, or what, what do you think? Why was everybody so, you know, amped. I guess, you know, eight, eight, yeah. Amped and eight. <laughs> yeah. Amped. I, I, um, I just, I think it was because the, the foreshadowing of what Joe said, we're under attack kind of knowing that the, that it had literally changed within, you know, within five or six hours of what our outcome would be for the rest of our lives. Um, and, and there was, and I don't know for me personally, I don't know if any of you all on this call can, can, um, add to that day because we all had our own experience of that day. But for me, there was this adrenaline dump. I remember when Dom finally got back to the room and we're like, Oh, like, I mean, we had these sabers, like these like decorative saber, like a sword that we had to carry as seniors. Every senior has a saber. I mean, we were being stupid but we're like pulling our sabers like we're getting ready to go to war like i mean it was like this weird (laughs) adrenaline dump um and maybe maybe others are like no we did not have that reaction but you know for four thousand cadets that are you know getting ready to lead the next men and you know sons and daughters into war there was uh, an adrenaline type mentality that dumped on that day for certain i was gonna say you know what i remember was really a for the next couple of weeks kind of everybody had the same look in their eyes and anywhere I drove or walked around and everybody was all thinking the same thing of just like this shock and awe and also a tremendous sense of pride for our military um more so than I ever remember in 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 our time and so that leads me to your my next question for you did you notice a difference in the crowds when you would go to those next games. I think you were in Birmingham next and then Boston College. Was there a difference in the way crowds were cheering when your team was announced or is there anything you noticed that changed on just that minor perspective? There was. I mean, typically in the past, and no one's ever too anti, you know, West Point or Annapolis when they're running on, you know, an opposing field. But the difference was, um, you know, UAB and then Boston College the the following week, both of those were away games. And we got standing ovations as we ran out on the field at both those settings. And that didn't happen in the past. I mean, we I, freshman year running out on Notre Dame or wherever it might have been, you know, we never got disrespected or booed as, as some right. crowds, you know, do to the opposing team. We never experienced that, but we never also experienced a standing ovation like we did uh, post 9-11 on all of the away games we had the remaining um, the remainder of that year. That's amazing. And then Jeff, for you, just, um, you know, when 9-11 happened, um, was there a point where your thoughts went to Chad and you, when we knew what was going on and that there was going to be military action that you had a thought about, you know, either I have to reach out to him or, you know, I'm thinking about him because something's going to occur from a U.S. standpoint. Yeah. So, I mean, I was in Tucson at the time at U of A and, um, at that point it was like six 30 in the morning and we had thought the same thing, probably like everyone else in the nation, you know, um, that, oh, there must've just been some accident in a, and I can't believe a plane would actually go into the world trade center. Right. And, um, into the tower. And we actually went and 
uh, packed the rest of our bags when we got the news. And then we just, at that point, we didn't really know what's going on. And then we went and played golf. And then all of a sudden, like we're our, the phones are starting to ring a little bit more and stuff. And you're going, wait, this wasn't an accident. And then it, it just developed into something more than, yeah. Then I'm trying to remember if Chad and I had talked that day or just maybe later that week. Um, I don't know, it was so many years ago now, but uh, I mean, yeah, there was definitely a concern. I mean, you know, just like uh, that day wondering what the future was going to hold. And then also like during his tours and wondering, you know, like, you know, just praying to God that like, you know, he's in deadly warfare on a daily basis, four different times throughout his life. And, you know, for a year at a time and whatnot, and just hoping he comes back. So, you know, we can, you know, you know, shoot the stuff, you know, again and hang out and just, you know, be friends and stuff, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah it was, I mean, I, I think everybody that was alive back then is fully aware of where, you know, there's certain things in life, right. Where you always remember where you were when you heard something or saw something. And I think everybody, uh, remembers that, you know, um, were you on the East coast in Boston at the time still, or where were you? At? I was in San Diego, um, at the time, but, uh, my friend who lived in New York city, Nate called me in the morning, said, Hey, turn on the TV. I got to go. And then, I, you know, wasn't yeah. able to talk to him for a few days, but, uh, it was wild. So Chad, then, you know, let's get to really the, the big game, which was, uh, the army Navy game, you know, we talked about how the crowds were bigger, more energetic, um, standing ovations for you guys. As you get there, I imagine the emotion coming into this game, the army Navy game was unlike any army Navy game that you've ever played in. It was and it, it, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, ever since I was a freshman, it's, it's always emphasized, um, about the seniors, you know, because that's their last game. Um, so even as a freshman and being in that room and all the seniors get to speak, you know, the night before the game. And then as a sophomore or junior, now here, it's my senior year. I know it's my last game. Uh, it's my last game with the guys. Cause I, I went to West Point's prep school. So I was actually, you know, there was like my fifth year, if you will. Um, and a lot of my teammates who were seniors with me were from the prep school as well. Um, and then add to it the the 9-11 and all the media coverage we got. I mean, typically Army football teams don't get a ton of, of media coverage, but that year it was different. I mean, ESPN, uh, they came and followed us the week of Army-Navy um, leading up to it. And then CBS obviously had their A-team on, the, um, on the call for that game. Uh, that Saturday. So there was a lot of media hype around it. And then we knew the president was going to come. Um, we actually rode buses to Philadelphia from West Point. It's about three, three and a half hour bus ride. And when we got off Friday to Veterans Stadium, that was one of the last games in the vet, actually. Um, we had to go through metal detectors when we got off because Secret Service was already positioned at the at the stadium. And even us as as, you know, collegiate athletes at, at West Point, we're getting wanded down by Secret Service as we're going in to the locker rooms. And that's for the pregame when you do your walkthrough and everything else. So it was definitely amplified um, that Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Um, and. And in that game, I, I know we don't want to talk about the past, but you guys, you know, I, I don't know if you were fit. Were you favored at that in that game or not favored for that game? We would have been favored because Navy, they had a hard seed. They had, um, they fired their coach like maybe two or three games into the season. So they had an interim head coach and they were they're a little bit of a, a low on that side of um, of of their season as well. Yeah. But ultimately in that game, it's like what I, you know, in the hockey world, the bean pot, it doesn't matter where you're ranked, you know, anyone can win that game at any time. And you guys uh, came through and you were the game winning quarterback for the Army Navy game that year for Army. Yeah, it was it was. And um, truth be told, I actually I had a torn uh, PCL in my right knee. I had done it against the University of Buffalo three weeks prior um, it was our last home game and uh, first play of the second half. I got hit and uh, they didn't they didn't know what it was. They thought it was maybe just a meniscus tear or something like that because I didn't get an MRI right away. But I had a huge knee brace on 
And then it wasn't until after the season that we knew it was actually a torn PCL and I had to get reconstructive surgery on it. But I was just fortunate enough to play in the game, but there really wasn't, I mean, you would, would have probably had to amputate my, uh, my right <laughs> leg to keep me out of that game. I just, that's how much it meant to me right. uh, to be able to be out there with my teammates. And I, I can say probably the, the, the greatest memory I have of that game was actually getting able to run out we had the ball at the very end. We got a turnover on down. So I was able to be out on the field to run victory formation when you take a knee and watch the game clock go to zero and just embracing all of my linemen out there. They put all the seniors out there as my offensive linemen. So just embracing them and having all of them out there because, you know, as a quarterback, your O-line is very special to you. And they were all very special to me. So that that's probably the greatest memory I have of that game. That's awesome. Jeff, did you watch that game live? Oh yeah. Well, yes. And I do like recall like subsequently Chad would have CBS specials on him all the time with uh Bonnie, what was her name, Chad? Bonnie um Bonnie Bernstein. Bonnie Bernstein from CBS and like just every year. So, you know, I'm out at my in-laws' house, you know, we're getting ready to watch the game or whatnot when when I was out in California and uh probably when you and I were working together, Joe, and whatnot. Um back in our Bard medical days. And, you know, here comes Chad with his special and Bonnie's interviewing them or, you know, whoever else. Right. I mean, there was, there were several of those. Cause at the point um, when Chad won his senior year with his team, I mean, he was the last quarterback to beat Navy for like 12 years. I mean, they hadn't Navy couldn't win a game. So they would inevitably always ask the winning quarterback to come back and, you know, share his story and whatnot, which was always great to watch. So, Jeff, Chad was getting interviewed by Bonnie Bernstein for CBS, and you and I were doing role plays on our way to Hollywood Presbyterian in the car. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's a vast different path. Right? Yeah, vast difference. Uh, I'd be remiss to say, uh, Chad, uh, for those listening, um, if you want more on the story of the uh, Army-Navy game and kind of the buildup, and then even afterwards, um, there's a book. Uh, that was written about uh, uh, Chad, um, All-American, Two Young Men, the 2001 Army-Navy game and the war they fought in Iraq by Steve Eubanks. You should check it out. It's it's really well done. Um, so, Chad, I want to get into deployment because I think really where we want to take this and talk about is, and, and you brought this up when we had our, our pre-call, was it's not just about what you've done out there and, and, and you've had um, a tremendous career in the military and post-military, but it's the connections you've had with people back home that have really helped keep you on solid ground, which ultimately, Jeff being one of those main, main players there. But I want to talk about your deployment, um, some of the things you went through, and then really talk about how you were able to stay in touch with Jeff and how he helped you in terms of grounding you. Yeah. Um, so as you kind of mentioned on the, the intro of this show, so I had four, four deployments, four combat deployments to Iraq. Um, the first one um, being the longest, it was 376 days straight. Um, and I really had just graduated Ranger school and um was was planning to take a little bit of time off because uh, i had lost quite a bit of weight even at ranger school but i got a call that said hey no your platoon's deploying in two weeks we'll give you one week back home to say goodbye to all your loved ones and, and family members and then uh we need you here in fort drum new york to to go ahead and meet your platoon and head over um and so it was a whirlwind to to say the least uh, but i also will say and I think we got to keep it in in perspective today. Um, you know, I was young. I was 23 at the time, relatively young, you know, considering now I'm 44. And but I I had, you know, 18, 19 year old kids um, in my platoon. And even at 23, those that was my concern. Right. That's what my concern was. My my private first classes, um, my young guys who were the the true infantrymen. Um, the, on the ground, on the front lines. And it's amazing looking back at it because my team leaders and my squad leaders and myself who were anywhere between probably 23 to 35 years old, those individuals, we would, we would look out for the young guys. And 
um, you know, one incident in particular um, that I struggled with for years to come was on November 2nd, 2003, when a uh, Chinook CH-47 helicopter was shot down just south of Fallujah by a surface-to-air missile. And my platoon of 40 men, we were the Quick Reactionary Force or QRF for any military listeners out there to, to go and try to uh, rescue as many individuals, any many soldiers as we could. And we got there within about 15 to 20 minutes of the Chinook getting shot down. And uh, unfortunately, 16 soldiers were killed that day, 26 were wounded, and we were the first to get on the scene and try to secure the, the crash site and then try to triage and, and secure as many individuals as we could to, to stabilize them and to get them on helicopters, air, AeroVac helicopters back out so they could hopefully make it. But then my platoon, we stayed for five additional days on the ground out there, five days and nights securing that wreckage so that um, one, no looters or terrorists could get their hands on it and use it as propaganda. And then also so we could, um, you know, army investigators could come out and try to piece together what exactly happened so that we could learn the lessons of what to do or not to do in the future to prevent those types of um, incidents from happening in the future. But those five nights and days were just haunting out there as well. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that I never talked about really in depth once I got home and it, it happened early. It happened within two months of, you know, a 12 month deployment, but, the subsequent um, years of not expressing that or not talking through that with a professional really challenged me uh, mentally. So I, I guess my first kind of reason for stating that is for anybody who might be out there, whether they're an employee of your organization or a listener of this show, you know, if they've, they've gone through difficult situations um, in combat specifically that they haven't addressed or it's still looming and they're not really knowing how to to share it or they're thinking that it might not be um affecting them i would encourage them to go try to seek um individuals to go speak to whether it's a confidant whether it's a friend whether it's a family member or whether it is an actual professional i would encourage in, in whatever capacity to go do that um but i know that that changed me that changed my outlook that changed me as a human as a man um and I didn't recognize it, but I had, and I'm not saying Jeff and I went into the weeds on that, but Jeff was still one of those steadfast individuals in my life when I came home and would talk to and, and would connect with. Um, he made me realize, you know, years later that, you know, I was building up walls in my life to individuals, but man, Jeff never let that wall be built between him and I. You know, I think a lot of combat veterans uh, especially can let walls be built between their relationships, whether it's their spouse, whether it's their children, whether it's their, um, you know, uh, external family members or whether they're good friends. We can easily put up walls and let them be built because we we think that we hold the key to this, you know, hardship and trauma that no one else can experience. And that's not the case. That's self-serving, but it, it allows for us to, to build that into our mindset. And I will say, Jeff has always been an individual that, that has not allowed for those walls to be built. And I'd say the reason for it is yes, he's great at staying connected and staying, um, staying true at who he is and um and being being Jeff as anybody would know him but I think more than that what Jeff does as an unbe un un unbelievable friend is he listens you know he's not quick to be the one to just talk the entire time but listening and asking questions and truly caring which you know anybody that knows um when somebody's authentic or not um, we could read between those lines. And Jeff's always been that authentic listener who's who's truly caring. Um, and he's been that way for me, my first deployment, all the way through my fourth deployment. And I have to say, and with Emily, um, I, I don't think people realize the burden that our spouses bear and that are currently bearing. Um, you know, there's there's still conflict going on, as we saw this weekend in Israel, and, and there's still a, quite a few Americans, um, our military deployed throughout the world. And what our spouses, what Emily endured, 
um, as my wife and, and Jeff was my only friend that would continually reach out and call her and see how she was doing. And I know to this day, it means the world to her because uh, others might not do that because they don't, Oh, I don't want to bother her. I don't want to be a, you know, I don't want to make her sad, but Jeff, he put up the uncomfortableness to go through it because he knew it was necessary. And, and I'm forever um, in a debt of gratitude for that because she was in Seattle by herself and he's, you know, he's in California or wherever he was at that time, still staying connected to make sure that she was doing okay as well as my best friend. So that's unbelievable, really. Yeah, that's that is amazing. I was going to say, and you kind of hit on it, and and Jeff, I, I know we're probably making you uncomfortable saying these great things uh, about you, but you know, Jeff by nature is very curious and asks a lot of questions, right? And is very caring and open, and so I imagine that fits in really well with with you know Chad, what you were going through to have someone that just is curious, asking questions and listening and really opening up that conversation where others may have a hard time. And I know of situations, and, and I think it's great advice for everybody, and you said it is, you know, you have to make yourself and put yourself in those uncomfortable conversations and situations for the sake of someone else. Because, you know, if someone doesn't want to talk about it, they won't talk about it. All you can do is ask a question, right? And then listen and, and respond to it. So, um, it's amazing how that relationship has stayed uh, intact with you two over the years and the two different paths that you guys have gone on. Yeah, Jeff, did you worry that this time and distance and all these events that were happening between the last time you had seen them and the and the subsequent times that there was going to be a change, or did you see a change and you were able to kind of bring him back to quote home? What changes did you see in Chad, if any, and and how did you deal with that as a friend of a somebody who'd been in combat? Um, you know, that's a tough question. Um, I would say probably the biggest thing was is I didn't want to bring up things that would impact Chad or that he didn't want to talk about. Like, but I was still curious by nature, so I would bring up some things, but know when to maybe peel back or or not right um you know and more times than not he was willing to, to talk about things and stuff like that which was great and i was hoping that would allow him to vent out things or or whatever but but also learn like what he was going through you know it's like hard to i guess relate with anybody uh let it yeah let alone like one of your best friends right and seeing like what they're going through if you can't talk about it right so inevitably i just wanted him to be able to like open up and talk about it and maybe that helps him but then you know it's other things that we can sit there and bond about in a different way because i'm not in the trenches with him right like but learning about, about what he's gone through and stuff and i mean just the the gratitude as a as a citizen of the u.s but um really the the amount of of respect and that i had for him you know and doing what he was doing was uh, just really kind of beyond words. I mean, it was just kind of like, man, like, I can't believe like my best friends over there, like fighting for our freedom. Excellent. Deb, I'm going to hand it over to you to ask a few questions. I appreciate it. And again, great points that you're making Jeff, because it is, it is a, something that unless you've been there, you can't relate. So in that, in that realm, Chad, you have a podcast now, um, Christ over fear. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and how you're helping veterans that have been in combat situations? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked me about it, Deb. It's really, um, you know, it's probably just as it it is. I shouldn't say probably. It's just as beneficial to me as it is, um, you know, I hope to the guests who are able to listen to it and, and tune into it. But for me, uh, you know, one of the the hallmark sayings that I think resonates with me is, you know, when when Jesus is all you got, Jesus is all you need. I heard that from my pastor down in Florida when we lived down there, and I got to a place where I, I wasn't dealing properly with with all the the um, uh, all the traumatic events of combat. It, it kind of weighed on me, and it got to a point where you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful the Lord brought me to a place where I was able to say, okay, I got to give you all of this. And I've kind of got to start at ground zero to work my, uh, to really to rely upon him to get me out of those situations. Because um, I too often the military, 
um, teaches us to be self-reliant. I think the world teaches us to be self-reliant upon um, what we're capable of. But I got to finally experience like, okay, well, my self-reliance has run out. I've got no other options at this point. And really starting to trust in him and trusting in what what the Bible says and, and giving my life to him all the way. And, and what I recognized is, you know, that also made me do the work. It made me go to therapy. I, I'm very open in sharing that I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, and I went to a VA medical center in, in West Palm Beach and they had a PTSD clinic and I saw a, a psychologist and I went through extensive um, cognitive processing therapy on three of the of the combat traumas, the one that I talked to you about with the Chinook and then two other um, combat incidents that affect me, one with a, a small child and um, an unfortunate incident that was unintentional um, it, at night uh, in my, it was my first deployment as well. So all of that, you know, got me to a place where I said, okay, well, this is the only thing that's worked while well, the, 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 the therapy worked and um, I had another group, the healing combat trauma group that I went through at the VA that was a Christian based group. It all involved working once I had given him everything. Once I had say, I'm following you no matter what, good, bad, or ugly, I'm going to you. Then all the pieces started to fit into the puzzle. And so I wanted to capture that through this podcast, Christ Over Fear. I, it took me forever to come up with the name, but I, I just fear seems to be what oftentimes causes us to react in a way that maybe is not the best situation. So that's why I made it Christ over fear, because whatever situation we're in, it doesn't have to be fear. It can be anger. It can be hurt. It can be whatever you list it. But if we turn to him over whatever our circumstance is, um, you know, we'll be okay. And so then I basically have it as a, as a interview type um, podcast where I have guests on who are combat veterans who share kind of their story and what they had to do to turn to him, what they're currently doing. And it's just capturing those stories, um, those testimonies, if you will, and, and showing what he's capable of doing. And it's really to help the individual who's maybe one to two paths behind, who's not quite there yet, who's maybe on the fence and like, uh, you know, yeah, that sounds grand and that sounds cool, but I'm not there yet to know that, hey, we don't have our lives all figured out. It's not like I have the answer to everything, but I do have the source of where I can go to. And, and that's what it's trying to do to, to capture those stories and get them where it can maybe helpfully hope um, an individuals who's one to two steps behind in the process. Yeah, you know, you make a great point because our organization, VD, is a large employer of uh, both current and um, former uh, military service personnel. And, you know, you don't know when you're looking or talking with somebody what they may or may not have gone through. So we don't know if they've had a traumatic brain injury. We don't know if they've uh, been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. So how can we as... Uh, an organization as associates who work with um, active and former military personnel, how can we, how can we help transition um, those that have come from say military life into a civilian role? How can, how can we help? How can we, how can we be there to support? What are some things that we can do from an organizational standpoint through our associate resource group to be able to um, better, better together? Well, I, I think that's a great outlook on um, asking those questions to identify ways to help. I think uh, a big thing is, you know, emulating the connection with those employees um, that, you know, Jeff does with me, like the uh, having those authentic conversations and maybe sometimes leading with, um, and I don't want to make this where it's, you know, veterans have to be catered to or have to be um, approached differently. Because I think what connected me to others 
is when others are real, when they're real in their lives. I think COVID, a large part COVID has helped in that. There's a lot of negatives, obviously, to COVID. But one of the positives is it's kind of letting the guard down and everybody's life having to be perfect. You know, people seeing people on Zoom calls and like chaos going on around in the background. Like our lives are messy. Every single individual's life is not perfect and grandiose. And so if we can relate to our coworkers, if we can relate by being authentic and maybe taking that awkward step forward to being like, man, I'm having a hard day. This isn't going right. You don't know how letting your guard down will allow for a, a person who's gone through maybe military experiences or, you know, a, a veteran, how it might let their guard down to say, okay, th this is okay for me. I'm, I'm in an area where I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be ridiculed. And, and I, they're okay with me being who I am and not acting like I have my life together at all times throughout the day. Now you can't be a, a walking hot mess, but you can, you can be real and um, and sharing the difficulties of life. That's what we're supposed to, at the end of the day, that's what we're supposed to do as humans is share these experiences together. Whether, you know, my story is unique to me. Jeff's is unique to him. Joe's is to him. Deb's to yours. But through our unique stories, we have commonalities in each of our lives. So it's finding those with the veteran community and recognizing they're not isolated. They're not alone in their walk. Great answer. I appreciate that. Um, one final thing from, from my standpoint, I'll turn it back over to Joe. So I would just like to recognize you um, from the state of Ohio as an honoree of class of 2022 um, for all that you've done for within your service, but outside of your military service as well and your, your volunteerism and your advocacy. And it's much appreciated. So um, a, a tremendous amount of gratitude for you and what you've been able to accomplish um, from from third grade all the way on to, to present day. So you're in great company in Ohio uh, with uh, being an honoree uh, with some greats like Paul Newman, a few astronauts we might know like John Glenn and Neil Armstrong, a couple of presidents, uh, James The Garfield, most presidents of any state <laughs> in the U.S. Yes, I, I, believe I, six. I had no idea how many people came out of Ohio that uh, are now honorees, uh, but Chad, you among them. So thank you again for your service. We really appreciate all you've done for our country. Well, thank you, Deb. I appreciate being able to come on here and having the opportunity to share a little glimpse of uh, Jeff and I's story. Jeff and Chad, I want to thank you guys for joining us on the Better Together podcast. As you can see, we have a few more people that have jumped in and, and joined this call. Um, so I want to uh, pass on uh, this to Joe Pratty. Joe Pratty, who up until recently was one of the co-leads of the VETS organization at BD. So I want Joe to tell us a little bit about the vets, uh, where this podcast is ultimately being sponsored from. And then Joe has some news to share with both of you guys. So Joe, take it away. Thank you, Joe Balin. And uh, nice to see you again, Jeff. And nice to meet you, Chad. I am Joe Pratty, as uh, Joe Balin just mentioned. I'm the Western Area PIVO Specialist, and I'm joined by a couple of other people. For the last two years, I've been the co-lead of the VETS ARG Veteran Employee and Troop Support Associate Resource Group. And my other co-lead is on the call with us as well, Nick Bellenbaum. So Nick, um, I'll turn it over to you just a second to say hello, but I'll run through these names real quick. Um, Nick and I are turning these lead positions over to Danielle Caracello, excuse me, um, Group Vice President for Government, and Sean Jones, the Director of Strategic Accounts for Customer Care. So they're both on the line as well. And the reason that we wanted to get you all together here today is to extend a special invite to both you, Jeff, and you, Chad, to the 2023 Army-Navy game at Gillette Stadium. It's going to be December 9th. 1400 hours. What do you guys think of that? Would you like to join? Are us? you serious? I'm dead serious. Would you like to join us in that game? That would be amazing. We've Let's been working on this for quite some time. Your story is amazing. We really appreciate the opportunity to come back on at the end of this podcast, offer this to you and Chad. Your story is inspirational and can't wait to get the podcast out there. Can't wait to see you guys at the Army Navy game if you'd like to go. And I uh, will take it from there. Wow. <laughs> well, I know it's been a bucket list for uh, for Jeff for all of uh, his 45 years and, and for me to get to come back, especially at a new venue, you know, up in um, New England and Boston. What what a perfect what a perfect place for the Army Navy game. So to be able to go back, that is really awesome. So thank you to everyone at BD for for hosting this, for having this conversation. Um, which is is vital to to veterans as a whole and to just our our you know our country as a whole 
and having those conversations, the whole premise of Jeff and I being best friends and us having those hard, hard conversations and him, him being the, uh, the friend that I needed through thick and thin. And then for us to be able to, to go and, uh, be together for that is truly special. So thank you from, uh, from myself for that, because that'll be something that Jeff and I will have for another memory to put down to, uh, of a lifetime that we've had together. Well, Chad, yeah. Jeff, just before, excuse me, go ahead, Jeff, excuse me. I just wanted to say, you know, on behalf of myself and Chad, I just want to thank everybody. Like that's like really going out of your way and doing something special that we, you know, it, it was probably a bucket list and a, uh, a wish thing when you think about it, but like you never thought it would come to fruition and stuff. So I thank you all, whoever was uh, part of making this happen and stuff. I, I know Chad and I are going to have a great time and representing BD and, and Army very well and, uh, you know, just uh, spending some time. So will everyone uh, on this call be there or what's that, the... That hasn't been determined. The only two seats that have been um, permanently filled are you and Chad, if you'd like to, if you guys would like to come. So we're oh pretty God. excited to have you. Unbelievable. Thank you guys. The first two seats on the list. Woo! Let's go. <laughs> so before I, I'm going to turn it over to the other members of the Vets ARG leadership team, but I just want to thank you both for this. Chad, your story is awesome. Jeff, your story is awesome. Uh, Jeff, I've known you for 14 years, and this is a, I'm just excited to see you get to do this with Chad. So thank you, Sir Nick, Danielle, and Sean would like to say a few things too. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, congratulations, guys. Uh, I won't say too much. Uh, my name is Nick Bellenbaum. So I'm a veteran, uh, like most people on the call here. Uh, I spent 20 years in the Navy. Uh, I was a SEAL uh, on the East Coast and West Coast, retired in 19, been in FPD ever since. But uh, yeah, I don't want to take up too much time. I'm an outgoing co-lead. Uh, uh, super, super excited for you guys. Uh, good. And this is, a, I want to make clear, this, Joe's driving this train. So uh, I really appreciate Joe's effort in, in this making this happen. Well, thanks for your services. We appreciate it. And uh, no no offense when I'm saying there, go Army when you're, a, you know, a coveted Navy SEAL. So oh, that's okay. The Navy's got the overall lead. So we're all right with that. And, you know, Chad's our special invite. You can go Army all you want. And Danielle, the next I was going to say, we're going to go Army all the way. So, uh, there we go, Danielle. No, uh, definitely, um, you know, Joe, Joe, Joe Pratty brought this to our attention and the story with Jeff and Chad and the family isn't always blood, right? And it's our, our brothers and sisters in arms, as well as our brothers and sisters back home that are our foundation, that through those times when we struggle, we have someone that we can confide in and be vulnerable, that has empathy for us and wants to understand and be there no matter what, no matter what time of day the call is, right? We have those people that we know will pick up when we say, I need you. So the bond is something that Love to hear the story. We're so excited to have you. Um, glad to get a little more Army on the side. So my background, I was a Army Medical Service Air Evacuation Officer. Um, the day that I transitioned, uh, God had a different plan. I thought I was going to be the first female general of the Dental Corps. That was my goal. And then uh, the evacuator became the evacuatee uh, in a uh, in an event in Kirkuk. So definitely have had those same conversations with uh with my best friend so love to hear the story and so excited to meet you both um and you know nick and joe have done a wonderful job uh, and continue to support us and support individuals like yourself uh, in the organization and the extended family so we can't wait to see you to echo that real quick i always say you know you don't pick family you pick friends right so um some in some cases like chad like he's 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 not only like a brother, but he's like more of a brother to me than my brother, just because we have so many commonalities and uh, the pathways, even though his has gone, you know, through the military and things like that. We have so many more similarities. So I, I couldn't agree more with you, Danielle. Absolutely. And and I am very grateful to be able to be a part of this team and this role. And again, Joe and Nick have handed this off to us. We're very grateful. Um, my role has been as a military spouse of a Air Force veteran for 10 years um, during Desert Storm. And then my son is currently active duty Air Force in his 17th year, Intel, linguist, Arabic. And then um, my father-in-law is a Cold War um, nuclear sub 
Navy. And um, so have a lot of roots. And so my mission has changed over the years, but I could not be prouder to be able to serve and be a part of this team. And thank you all very much for everything you've done and look forward to serving and being a part. So. Thank you. Thank you. Chad and Jeff, it's our honor to offer you this special invite, and the team has been behind it, pushing to get this approved. I'm excited for you guys. I, I couldn't think of a, a better couple of people to go attend this game, Ch especially, Chad, with your background and, and what you've accomplished and being the uh, the winning quarterback at Army in 2001 and against this against Navy. It's just uh, quite an honor. Post 9-11, yeah. One so. Um, anyway, that's all, all I had. Uh, thank you again, guys. Um, and we really appreciate you guys doing this podcast and looking forward to, uh, maybe a follow-up podcast after the game and tell us a little bit more in detail of it. Chad, I appreciate it, Jeff. Uh, I appreciate it as well. And thank you both for joining. And, um, again, for those listening, the Vets ARG pod is always accepting new members. So if you're interested, please reach out to myself or Deb Sanchez and we'll get you going. Thank you so much.